Um, for those of you guys who are here, please go ahead and open your Bibles. Come with me to Genesis chapter 11. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little bit of background. It's, I don't know exactly how to introduce these messages sometime, but we are in the book of Genesis, according to Usher's chronological book, um, in relationship to when the Tower of Babel happened. If you take the genealogy and trace it back, we're looking at about 4,000 uh, B.C. and the flood happening around 238, uh, 2048 B.C. And now about 100 years later after the flood, after God said to Noah and his families, be fruitful and multiply, we see about 100 years later, about 1,000 people a year, 1,000 people that were born in about those hundred years, they they estimate that given that these people in these early days had lots of kids, they didn't have the one boy rule or two kid rule or whatever. Um, they had a lot of kids. They were very fruitful and they multiplied, and that's what they did. And so today we're going to see how man went wayward again, and so we're going to get man's sin and God's consequences from Genesis chapter. 1 through 11, chapter 11 through 1 through 9. And our hope is that you would, in one sense, uh, see the need for the gospel each day and our need and God's grace to help us to reflect God's gospel and God's glory each day. And so I think that the temptation we're going to look at is that we are wired for worship and we are wired for glory, uh, but we have a temptation to give it to ourselves instead of reflecting it uh, to God. And so that's where we are, and that's how this particular passage fits. So we're just going to walk through this together. Hopefully it makes sense, um, given that God has given us language. We, we'll look at the origin of language, too, and why we have different languages today. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, we see that mankind started with the same language. Moses records this in verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And so there is, in one sense, a unity with mankind. And since they spoke the same language, and also they lived in the same place, we see that the whole world um, had the same language and the same words, basically the same vocabulary. Um, the idea of whole earth is debated. Are they talking about the whole entire world, or are they talking about the known world in which the author exists? knows about. I'm kind of leaning to that, um, just given the context that he's addressing the people there um, in and around him. So that's the known world, the speaking of the world, but the particular people um, that spoke this one language at this time. Do we know what language that is? I don't know. <laughs> I just throw it out because like you're reading an English Bible and you're like, yeah, they're speaking English, but not the case, right? The first Bible wasn't in English, and it wasn't in Latin either. It, um, we just know our original Bibles came in Hebrew, and, and the New Testament came in Greek. Now, I'm not saying that's the language that they spoke either, but we don't know the first language, but they spoke one language at this point. So we see how mankind re responded and related to God's reinstated commission to be fruitful to multiply and what? Fill the earth. Well, we see in verse 2, it says here that mankind settled in Shinar. So 
we see a problem right away. So we see that they settled in Shinar and they were semi-obedient. And we're going to look at that and we're going to break that down. We see in verse 2, as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain. Plain is the same thing we would think of today, a flat area of land in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Or in some translation, it says that they dwelled there. So we see that they moved east in the same way that when Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden, they went east. There's something about going east that is not necessarily a good thing. Um, but they headed east, <coughs> and they settled there. And so um, we see that there's separation and we see that in one sense they're moving outside of God's will. As Adam and Eve moved out of the garden east, they were stepping outside of God's will. And same goes for these, uh, these humans, <laughs> this whole humanity at this point, mankind. And so um, <clears throat> I want you just to see how they're moving out of God's blessing in a sense here. So Matthews in his commentary says, By this spatial term, the narrative also conveys a, a metaphorical sphere, meaning the Babylites are outside of God's blessing. At the expulsion of Adam and Eve, the cherubim guarded the entryway to the garden facing the east side. Some of you guys may remember that in Genesis chapter 3. And so we also see that this whole world, this people group, this first people group, they have moved outside of the blessing of God. So why have they moved outside of the blessing of God? Because why? They are in disobedience to God. They gathered together instead of fill the earth. Um, they, did, they did one thing really well. We know that they had lots of kids, probably up to a thousand over a hundred years, but they did not scatter. They only gathered. And so that's where they missed it. Um, that's where um, they're outside of God's design and God's command and God's blessing for them. <clears throat> and so we see that they have disobeyed God's command by simply settling in Shinar. And so we see that, I believe, on the map right there. Um, <clears throat> instead of being a generation that was spread, they became a generation that settled in one place. And that's where we have and see their disobedience against God's design and God's will for them. Um, a little bit about the place or the location is actually more of a region. Shinar, we looked at it last, actually two weeks ago in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. You remember there's a guy, um, and his whole mindset was evil and reckless and wicked, and his name was Nimrod, and he's the one who infamously established what? The Tower of Babel. Instead of <coughs> encouraging people to scatter, as God said, he said, no, let's gather and let's build here. And so Shinar refers to the region of Babylonia and some of the other cities in Babylonia is, in and around the region of Shinar is Babylon, Iraq, Akkad, and Kalna. And so this, this same area is also known as iniquity in terms of the region of Mesopotamia, same area near Summer and Akkad. So um, I find it interesting as they moved to this location, they chose a plain somewhere flat. So <coughs> they didn't chose a, a mountainous area. So a flat topography is good to what? 
It's easier to build a big tower on a flat surface versus what? On the mountains. It takes a lot more, I don't know, <laughs> architectural work to build alongside a mountain, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. If you have your Legos or your building blocks, it's easier to build what? On a flat surface, right? That's how we use a table or a tray or a flat floor. We would not try to build on the side of the couch, right? It just doesn't work that way. And so <clears throat> that's what you see uh, up to this point that this first group of hum humans, humanity, mankind, they basically obeyed God semi-ly. They were fruitful and multiply, but they chose to stay in one location and not fulfill and not fill the earth. And so half obedience is what? Disobedience, right? So they're technically and absolutely disobedient. I mean, they, they enjoyed God's blessing in a certain degree, and they got happy and excited about uh, making babies and <coughs> growing the population and descendants, but they didn't honor God and obey God in fulfilling his command, his commission, his recommission to them to fill the earth. And so we go on and we see how much God didn't like that and what he sees deeper in their heart. We look at verses 3 and 4. We see that mankind sought their own way. They sought their own way and their own glory. In verse 3, we see um, this unfold and take place. It seems that they had some kind of discussion with one another because it says in verse 3, and they said to one another. I don't know exactly how this all works. They all got their phones and the apps and say, hey, let's do this. No, somehow they did it one another. They're talking to one another and communicating to about a thousand people. But <clears throat> this is what um, mankind does. They come up with this plan not to obey God fully. And so they say this to one another. And what do they say? They say, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Um, the Hebrew language is hilarious here. Um, the Hebrew language has a phonetic alphabet, and they kind of use a little bit of a play on words. If we were to take this really literally, it's literally let us brick bricks and let's bake baking them. And so um, that's this, their goal and their heart of what they're trying to do. We're going to make these bricks and we're going to bake them um, to the point that um, we, we burn them. Um, <coughs> and so we see that the Babylonians take these bricks, and in verse 3, they, they use these bricks. It says <coughs> they, use these, they had bricks for stone. In other words, they're using bricks as stone. So they're going to build with these bricks. In this particular region, there, there were no stones. Um, so they had to bake bricks if they wanted to build something. So they've chose to go the harder way. There are other areas in the land that they could have went to and, and got stone and cut them and built that way, but they did it this way. They basically took mud, baked, and baked bricks, and this is how they um, built this <coughs> tower. And so how do they hold these bricks together? Well, we see that they use bitumen, for mortar, <laughs> bitumen is basically like asphalt or tar, as we would understand it today, and basically a super sticky substance works as way better than super glue to glue these rocks together or these bricks together and hold them in place, which is important, right? Or else they would what fall down. Um, <clears throat> and so 
they, they used bitumen to do that and used it as tartar to put these and stick these bricks together. Going on in verse 4, um, we see that they're working on this building and um, they have this intent in verse 4. It says here that then they said, so this community, this group of humanity comes together and they say, let's come and let, they say, come and let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in heaven. So this is interesting. They want to build the tallest building in the world um, with its tops that would touch heaven. Not, not literally, but it's going to go high toward the clouds. And so their desire is to what? Behind them is to what? To make themselves look great to do something big and, and noticeable um, <clears throat> and something like no other. But they want to do this for their, what? Fame game, right? For their glory and for their um, respect and for their own honor. Um, it, there's a couple of things I also see here as they look to, to build this tower to the tops of heaven. In one sense, they're trying to, if God is in heaven, I think it's inferred here, they want to be, what, God-like. Um, I think Adam and Eve had the same hope and idea as they took their step of disobedience that it would grant them more, but it actually made things worse. Um, I believe that in their heart that they're thinking they're achieving what? More. And so when I read this, it doesn't, it make, it's, um, reminds me of today. We think bigger is better, bigger this and that, and we're achieving more. Um, we have more ways to communicate, but our communication is worse um, these days. Uh, <clears throat> if you go online, I didn't put these up online, but there are some of the tallest buildings now <laughs> in China, in Dubai, and they look like this kind of tower. No, I don't know what the Tower of Babel is actually look like. I just know it's made out of bricks. But some of them go really high, and I, I, I think there will be a day where we'll see them go like this. Not a, not, a, not a plane flying in them. I just think they'll fall one day. It'll be something where God is going to humble, humble humanity in different ways, and these towers will come down. Um, that's just me. I, I just think I see the same mindset there. And then in the next phrase, it says, let us, so we get a little bit more behind what they're thinking. It says, let us make a name for ourselves. So their goal in making this tower is to what? Make a name for themselves. They're not thinking about God's name and his renown and his reputation, his fame. They're thinking about their own name and their own fame and their own reputation. So by <clears throat> working hard, making this huge tower, their goal is to make a name for themselves. And they want to do this because they have a concern, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I'm not sure why they think building this tower will prevent them from being dispersed over the whole earth. But in some, in some sense, they know that they're not supposed to be doing this because they know God said to do something else, but they're doing it anyways. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's kind of what's happening here. Um, so we're going to unpack this a little further um, as we see really man's pride rear its ugly head. They think they know better than God. They think their ways are better than God's ways. And so, um, I'll give you a couple of quotes that give you a little bit more insight here. John MacArthur says this, he says, 
It's not that the tower would actually reach to the abode of God, you know, actually reach where God is at, and not that the tops would represent <coughs> that not that the tops would represent the heavens. They want it to be a high tower as a monument of their abilities, one that would enhance their fame. In this endeavor, they disobeyed God and attempted to steal his glory. Ken Ham's put it this way, sadly, from our own human pride and self-centeredness, they were intent on defying God's decree to fill the earth. It was as if they were shaking their fist at God and saying, we can do whatever we want to do. And so, if we continue in this, uh, in this story, we see the builders' basic confession and intention here. We see that they what, want to make a name for themselves with the mindset that they would avoid being scattered. Um, we see, in one sense, <clears throat> they want to empower themselves. They want to live as their own king. Uh, they're after their own glory. They want to assert their own um, independence and their goals above God's purposes for them. And deep down um, expresses a root of fear and <clears throat> that's motivating them to, to, to build um, for, for some reason, definitely for their own glory, but they, they also have a fear of what? Being scattered. And so they kind of have this in their mind that that's a possibility. So I just want you to see that. So they're in one flex, flexing their human abilities, their human ingenuity to make a name for themselves. And I, I can just park it and I can name a lot of things, but we don't have time for that. But there's a lot of ways in which we what? Seek to increase our fame, right? More likes, more attention, more comments, more, I don't know, bigger titles, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can increase and inflect our name. But they're, they're doing everything possible in their time and their generation to make their name as big as possible and to create it with their own human ability. It's interesting if you go down, to, you don't have to turn there, but as we consider Abraham, Abraham didn't have to do anything to make his, life, his name great. God literally says, trust me, and I will make um, your name great. God will do it versus you doing it yourself. So the striking difference between Abraham and Nimrod and those around him is they are trying to achieve greatness. And that's what the Babylites sought to do. For Abraham is by faith. He believed and God, in one sense, made him great. This is the same struggle we face today. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the four, way, uh, four spiritual law tracks back in the day through crusade, but they usually diagram two. As it usually shows arrows pointing up. And it shows and depicts man's effort to what? Reach God. And so it says human works or effort, or philosophy, or religion. And the, the arrow's pointing up, and I'm, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit, but it all shows and demonstrates what man's human achievement to earn righteousness. But really, I don't think arrows pointing up depict what man's actually doing. I think they're running away, and they should be arrows going down, rebelling away from God. 
But my whole point is what? Achievement won't save you. Achievement won't grant you greater fame or better positioning with God. Um, we understand that <coughs> we are saved by grace alone. And instead of reaching up, Christ and God, and their sovereign plan did everything for us. He came down for us. And we don't need achievement, and I'm going to coin a new term. We basically need believement. We just need to simply believe in Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone. And then guess what? He'll grant you forgiveness of sin and the hope of glory. So there's the gospel right there. We'll keep moving on. We see we saw man and what he did. Now we see God getting involved in the last few verses here. We see God sees man's wayward ways in verse 5. Moses uses anthropomorphic terms. These are basically human expressions that de depict what God is doing. In this case, God is seeing in verse 5. We see that God responds and reacts to, God, reacts to man's utter defiance. We see here in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see, there's your anthropomorphic term, to see the city and tower in which the children of man had built. From God's perspective, this is big, almighty God, the creator. He's looking down at his creation. He's like, oh, my creation. You know, the one we rescued and restored, and they're building this tiny little tower, this puny little thing in an attempt to generate glory to themselves. And so God sees this from his lofty, in heaven, on his throne viewpoint. And so that's what he sees. And Matthew sees, um, when I say Matthew, in his commentary, he, he takes it in such a, another perspective. I didn't, wasn't even thinking this way, but I just want to give this to you. But he, he looks at their effort and he calls it this. He says, the frailty of their engineering is marked by the description of the builders, the sons of man. The edifice can hardly outlast the mortals who build it. For such is a perpetual condition of man's endeavor at sovereignty. I thought that was fascinating. We're, if you think of mankind, every nation, every people group, there's something about us that we think we could build or do something great and in one sense reach some form of sovereignty to be like God. And he's just saying, hey, this effort is foolish and also frail. It will all come down and crumble one day. And so God takes notice of this, and God is upset. He's so upset, um, he's going to do something about it. And so if you know the story, we see what he'll do. We see that God scrambles <coughs> mankind's language in verse 6 and 7. So God speaks um, according to his divine will and mouth. It says here, and the Lord said, behold, he wants to call attention to what's happening. And he says, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And so he's, the Lord is <coughs> deliberately saying once again, what they are doing and how they are disobeying him. And he's basically saying, <coughs> this is only the beginning of what they'll do. He, in one sense, it's not just the beginning. He's seen it once. He knows mankind's heart, and, but he wants everyone to take notice, to pay attention. And his concern is this, 
Um, Matthew's, <laughs> I'm leaning on Matthew a lot, but he says this, the one people is the concern of God. Communication with its control has become their entanglement, for it has left them as a single people rather than the diversity of people the blessing had portended. So they are a single people in one group, not diverse and spread as God planned and intended for them. So <clears throat> then God gets to the point with them. He says, and they purpose that they propose to do, to do well now be possible for them. And so, in other words, <clears throat> mankind is wicked. Um, they are going to do this. They could do much more. In one sense, you see the seeds of sin just growing and growing and growing and growing and growing ever more with humanity. And so, <clears throat> none of this is hidden from God. If they are able to do this one sin, um, God is not going to put limits on man mankind in this sense. They, they would, what? He could see them uh, do even more sin, greater sin, bigger sin. And so God is <coughs> going to give and, um, his consequence at this time. Um, a quick footnote as I was reading, a lot of people, they say different things, but there's definitely a lot of people participating in the bow, 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 <coughs> Tower of Babel. Excuse me, I'm having my own Babel issues. <laughs> in the Tower of Babel plan scheme to make themselves great, um, some say not everyone was in this, and I, that could be a possibility. Some say Shem, um, Noah's better descendant, might not have been participating in this. We don't have anything written or any video proof on this, but I'm just throwing that out for you to munch on. But it's bad enough that God says you're going to all experience his holy consequences together. So in verse 7, it says here, Come, let's go down and they go down and there confess their languages so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so this is fascinating. We see the Lord comes down and he's going to go after their speech, their Hebrew word babel here, and he's going to confuse it. He's going to alter their languages. And... <clears throat> Given how two weeks ago we looked at chapter 10 and there were 70 nations or 70 groups that we looked at the whole descendants there, if we put the two ideas together as he, as he confused the language, I believe that there are 70 different languages at this point because of the, how the descendants dispersed. And so imagine this, and I don't know how it broke down, but we're talking a little bit about this at dinner. Imagine being with your own family and you're talking same language, whatever that was, and all of a sudden, you don't understand what your son is saying to you. Your son doesn't understand what you're saying to them. Your daughter doesn't understand. Your wife doesn't understand. You're having this communication problem because what? God scrambled languages. Um, some authors basically said they believe they kept family units intact and was merciful, but we don't see that in the scripture, but that could be the grace of God to keep some family units the family unit attacks them, you know, mom, dad, brother, sister, attack. but your cousins, your nieces, nephews, your grandparents are scattered in different places. I don't know. But we do know that the languages are scattered in so many places. But I could imagine, you know, working on this tower, and I'm helping to push up this brick, and I'm just like, you know, talking to 
the person next to me and say, man, this Nimrod guy, man, he's such a pain. He's having us do all this stuff. And all of a sudden, my friend or the person working right next to me does not understand me. That's what's happening. It's just kind of a crazy thing to think. Like, you're just talking to someone like, right now, it's like, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? I don't, I don't understand you. Anyways, that's kind of a little bit of uh, what goes down. I've seen little kids' cartoons on this, and this is kind of funny. Like, they could be speaking English together, and all of a sudden, one knows French and one knows Chinese. I don't know how it breaks down. But anyways, uh, verses 8 and 9, we see that God also follows through with what he's saying. And since they didn't, humanity didn't obey them, um, God gave them exactly the opposite of what they were striving for. They wanted to gather so badly that God used the confusion of language to fulfill his will, even though humanity wasn't doing so willingly. So God scatters them. We see in verse 8, as humanity receives the opposite of their desires in this passage. And so it says here, So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off the building They left off building the city. And so this one act of rebellion, well, it's more than one act, forced uh, them, instead of settling one place, to what? Scatter everywhere with multiple languages. And so what do we know here? Where did language come from? This is a big deal because we think a lot of different things in this world or what our school says, language came from here. We had one language. Now we know that it's scattered. And so... Imagine 70 different languages. People all know different languages. How do they scatter? People who all know the same language probably, what? Come on, clump together. That's what we would do. And, and someone within that language group would say, hey, let's go this way. And they end up in Africa or they end up in Europe. And those in Africa, how do they how do they develop or, I don't want to say the word evolve, but um, <coughs> connect, what's the me word, people? Adapt to this place in North Africa. Their skin gets, say it, <laughs> darker, right? And those who go up to Sweden and up that area, their skin gets lighter, right? It's just, <coughs> that's just how it unfolds. But yet this is the same human race all descendants of Noah, and all descendants of Adam. This is, these are huge statements I'm saying, because what? Our world, our education system doesn't teach this. So we are of one race. Um, we all have human DNA. The only difference is degree of skin color, my friends. Um, that's what we're talking about. And so in verse 9, um, why is it called the Tower of Babel? We kind of hit that already. It says, therefore, its name was called Babel because Babel talks about language being scattered or confused. So when you think of the word Babel, it means confuse. Uh, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth with confused languages they scattered into various places. So I'll just kind of walk through these conclusions. Uh, this is my take, and I kind of touched on this a little bit. I think God scattered people in each family group with different languages. And so from there, these groups clumped together, 
and they scattered around in bigger groups according to language and geographics. And then over time, guess what? Cultures developed, uh, tribes are developed, nations are developed, and then as these people come <coughs> gather together overseas, they, guess what? Their features start to line, their characteristics start to line, skin colors. Um, aligned together in the same gene pool until later on man gets more technology and you know ship over the earth and take planes and mix up things again. But for a long period of time they separated out <coughs> um, according to their languages. And so um, those are the results of Babel. What are some of the what are some of the things and implications for us today? Why does this matter? I've hit this already. I, I believe biblically there is one race through one blood, according to Acts 17, verse 26. We are one human race. And so the term race that the Bible uses is very different than what the races use today. So we just need to understand we're talking about two different things. And it's important to break down terms as we talk with people today. Um, I also think a couple of things. When I, I'm going to say overcoming racism. I, I believe the United States, Darwinism, I'll say even my relatives, my parents, literally trained me to be a racist. It's terrible. And so the whole thing as becoming a Christian is literally repent of racism, my own racism, my own... I don't know. Sociology will use terms like this, my own ethnocentricity, my own pride in my own background. It's this foolishness. It's dumb. Um, and so there's that area of repentance that needs to take place. And I, <clears throat> and I think for us as believers, we need to look a little deeper in a couple of different ways. Um, sometimes I think we're still thinking um, skin color, and I think we need to think soul. <laughs> the, the fact that every human being has a soul that will last forever, and we need to be concerned for people's soul and not so shallow and think, okay, He's from here, she's from there, their color is this way. But I think we still have this tendency to think worldly or Darwinianly or satanic, satanically versus biblically and having the mind of Christ as we think of people's souls, but also how we relate to one another. Um, in, in, the, in the church, are we still clumping together in the likeness of our background or are we learning how to love one another? well, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one thing to be in the same room together. It's another thing when we bring each other to each other's table to eat together, to hang out together, to do life together. And the onus is on who? Each one of us, right? It's on each one of us. I can't do it all. You can't do it all. But we could own our own calling to be image bearers, to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And with a heart, what? To see more brothers and sisters in Christ adopted into God's amazing family of faith and grace. And so that's a transformation um, that needs to take place in each one of us. That's a fight that we're working through um, personally and as a church together. I have to throw this one out because it just happened one time. One time, I was a youth pastor, actually for a long time, uh, for a good 15 years. And I remember a dad calling me. 
and he was upset at me. I don't know why he's taking it out of me, but he goes, my daughter is wanting and engaging and wants to marry someone that looks a lot different than her. And she goes, Gary, do you know what their kids are going to look like if they marry together? I'm like, human? (laughs) No, they're going to look like this and they won't look like us. I'm like, okay, but they're still human. Their DNA is compatible. They're not going to create aliens. Um, They're just going to look different maybe on the skin level. But below the skin, they're human beings. They are human beings, straight up. And so... Some people have different ideas about interracial marriage. Um, Hey, God only says this. May a man marry a woman and a woman marry a man. He never says to change our genders or declare ourselves to be only one gender or the other. He just wants human beings, male and female, to come together in marriage and have kids, and that's the way it works. But this world, this generation thinks they're God, and they think they could change their gender or, or do whatever. It's just more what? Playing God. So, I don't know. In my research, maybe the other tidbit is, some, one article talked about is social media equivalent to the Tower of Babel, the making your name great. It can be, um, if that's your heart and that's your desire. Um, but we can use social media for redemptive purposes, too. So, there you go. A lot to munch on, a lot to think about, lots to process through as we live in this world today. And as we what? I'm trying to, by God's grace together, that we would what? Form a gospel community that would understand this, that we would be known by our love, that we would care for one another, that we would recognize that we are family, (laughs) and that we would look at the world with compassion and desire that folks, others, would come to Christ. And that (coughs) things like race and social and economics would not be barriers that hold us up for caring, from carrying out God's mission for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to look at this ancient truth and how it addresses our modern problems in so many ways. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work this out in our lives by your grace, by your power, by your truth, by your mercy. Help us to repent where we need to repent. For it is a gift that you give us to repent. And so help us to repent. And then as we repent, continue to apply faith and live out faith toward you as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.